Yeah. Who gets the shots with Donovan and out? Addressing that question, and also Rob Mahoney of The Ringer stops by to get into what the Jazz have done so well, what are the achievements of the season, and some national NBA stuff. He gives you basketball information in your face. Ringer, Ringer NBA show, Top Bucks, Suns, Mavericks, beyond just Utah. This Round Ball Roundup, utahjazz.com, J.P. Chunga, podcast brought to you by Bailey's Moving and Storage. We move you every step of the way, near or far, big or small, Bailey's Moving and Storage. I came across this stat from Andy Larson over the Salt Lake Tribune. Donovan Mitchell led the NBA in shots per game since February 1. So that just led me instantly. Who's going to take those shots with Donovan out? And again, it's not a serious injury. It's not a catastrophic one that ends his season. He'll be back at some point. But Donovan had clearly become the number one player on offense for this team. The first option in every single sense. The creative hub. Now with him out, who's going to be that guy? He got great pub this week from Zach Lowe and David Thorpe as they talked about most improved players in the NBA. And Donovan was on that list. And it's because he's improved in so many little aspects of his game. That step back three, those decision-making plays, his passing, the baseball pass that he encorks. If this injury happened in the playoffs, and with what we've seen from him in the postseason before, that's devastating. With him having a chance to have this time off, a little bit of rest, it puts, oh, just Joe Ingles into the starting lineup? Well, there's your answer. Joe Ingles is getting more shots. Over the last three games, Joe has had 10 field goal attempts, at least, in each one of them. If he does it again, where he has 10 more against Minnesota Saturday, it'll be the first time all season he's had four games with 10-plus attempts. Last time he did that, it was December of last season, and that was when Mike Conley went down. So Joe Ingles finds this right point to insert himself more into the shot-making, more into his usage rate. It's at the right time. He picks those spots. Stick around for the talk with Rob because we get into this about flow, about finding a rhythm, about players like Joe Ingles who will defer at times, not shoot the ball as much, just to get others involved. But when Donovan's out, he can be more aggressive. And when you're shooting 49% from three, leading the league, it's all the more welcome. Mind you, the Jazz have leaders in the shooting department, field goal percentage with Rudy Gobert, and then free throw percentage with Jordan Clarkson. League leaders littered with Jazz men. But the other thing brought up with Rob is Phoenix having their moment in the sun. More examination coming to Chris Paul and Devin Booker. And as they are on a East Coast road trip, bigger tests, beat Philly, lost to Boston on a back-to-back. They got the New York teams next, and then the Clippers before next week's showdown against the Jazz. And that's the hardest game for Utah over the last finish of the year. It's Phoenix. And I'd want to see... Who's going to take those late-game shots? Who's going to step up? 
you don't think that they're going to have late game situations against Minnesota or Sacramento coming up. Phoenix is the game to watch. But as they get more examination, what are their flaws? Something to keep in mind as the season wraps up. Talk more about this with Rob, so listen to that. But as always, let others know that you're listening to the show. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast, you can find us. Just search Round Ball Roundup. While you're there, if you haven't listened to the AK interview, Andre Karolanko, Jazz Stalwart, joined the show for episode 100. I learned a lot about international basketball, telling you about what specific countries are known for, Italians known for shooting, the Yugoslavia countries known for their all-around game, France being physical, what you get with Rudy. He gets the game at that big level. So don't miss out on that combo. If you somehow stumbled on this one without listening to that one, what are you doing? Check it out. Episode 100 with AK-47. Let's hear from Rob, though. He wrote one of my favorite stories of the NBA season just off the court titled How to Read a Room Service Menu Like an NBA Veteran. He spoke to Carmelo, spoke to Mike Conley about how these guys are going from hotel room to hotel room. What are they going to eat? They've got this menu. They have to get something in the food plan. We start there. I asked Rob what he would order if he arrived in a city late. Please enjoy Rob Mahoney from The Ringer. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. Honestly, a lot of times with hotels, if I'm doing room service, I'm going straight down the middle, safe as possible options, keep all the seafood away from me. Like, normally yep. love seafood, but at a hotel, I'm, I'm not bothering with that. I'm usually going burger, club sandwich, something pretty simple, hits all like the comfort food, pleasure centers. Um, and usually it's at like 11 o'clock at night because I couldn't be bothered to get out of my room to actually get some food. How to read a room service menu like an NBA veteran that was in the ringer earlier in the season written by yourself. I was captivated by it because I think about this. If I were on the road, this is what separates the elite athletes from me. I would go <laughs> straight for the pasta. I saw a bolognese on there and I said, give it to me immediately. <laughs> but you got to trust a hotel kitchen with that. You know, you got multiple ground meats overlapping. You know, sometimes it depends on the time of day, whether you want something that heavy coming into you. So there's a lot of variables there, but I, I'm with you. I think pasta in general, pretty safe option. And God, God, do I love a bolognese. <laughs> what gave you the kernel for the idea? Obviously, I mean, this year they're traveling even more so than what it would be seemingly in a regular season. Like the Jazz had one earlier this year where they're going five cities in two weeks on an extended road trip. Where did it start? What brought you into this idea of looking at the room service menu? Yeah, I mean, we've been talking all season about how to cover the weirdness of the schedule, of the travel, of the COVID protocols in a way that feels present, but also isn't 
you know, always so heavy all the time. I think there's a lot of serious talks you have to have about this health and safety protocols of the league, but like, how do we make this basketball? How do we make this fun? How do we make this engaging for people? And I think there are two hat tips in order here. One to my editor, Justin Verrier, and two to the Washingtonian who had a series that was how to read a menu like a food critic in which they would kind of dissect some of the selections on you know, uh, hot couture type menus. Like why, you know, why is this fish there instead of that? Why would they have these options for vegetarians instead of these other ones? Um, kind of insidery stuff if you're into that world. And so we tried to kind of adapt that for the NBA. And our way of doing that was let's take these guys who have been to every hotel in the circuit time and time again, who, you know, have had those nights where they roll into town late and don't want to go out. Or, you know, especially if you're of a certain level of fame, you don't always want to deal with going out into the world all the time and doing autographs and photos and all that. So they know their way around a room service menu. A lot of the guys we talked to could basically give you all the greatest hits that are on every menu. Um, and, and so that was kind of our way to, to look at what this one little part of the NBA life was like this season was their way into food on the road. Carmelo was amongst the players that you talked to. Obviously, Mike Conley Jr. from the Jazz, who reads the menu like a veteran. Were there some rookie mistakes that even these veterans made? Well, there were definitely some mixed messages sometimes about, okay. you know, oh, I take, you know, I try to eat light, but also I want this pasta. You know, or I, you know <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to stay away from meat, but also this particular thing is calling to me. Or like maybe earlier in my career, I would have I jumped on this chicken sandwich but now I'm trying to stay away from that you know Mike was really honest about you know trying to keep it clean trying to keep it lean but you know he's going to dip into the chicken wings now and again you know, who, who can resist who among us can fault Mike Conley for that it's the the tenders stick out on room service menu that I just looked up and the wings as as Mike Conley said but all good choices and check out the ringer for how to read a room service menu like an NBA veteran as for the basketball on the court, oh, Jazz, own, Jazz own the number one record in the league. Where are they in the conversation about the conversation? Mm. Something that you brought up on your NBA Ringer show. A conversation about the conversation. When we talk contenders, it's all Lakers, Clippers. Are the Jazz edging their way into that, that conversation about things? I mean, I think they have to be in it. You know, if you've been you know, gauging this season, keeping up with everything, watching the Jazz on a regular basis, they have to be in that group. But, you know, as you were saying, the conversation around contention has its own interesting spirals and cadence and rhythm. And a lot of it has to do with who's been playing super well that we haven't talked about, but are playing really well right now. Who's kind of having their moment in the sun. And I think the Jazz in a lot of ways had that moment early in the season. We all kind of got it out of our system on a national media level. Oh my God, let's all talk about the Jazz for two weeks and then we'll forget they exist for the rest of the season. That's kind of the way that we have to divide our attention sometimes. And I mean, some of that is the reality of covering 30 teams at once. Some of it is the fact that I think that where the Jazz probably don't get the respect they deserve is in that aside mention as we move on to these other teams, right? Like you're mentioning the Lakers or the Clippers, you know, as we kind of rally through the list of, of contenders, the Lakers will always get a mention. You know, LeBron James is on that team. Anthony Davis is on that team. They're the defending champions. They're going to get thrown out there. Is every podcast host and writer and radio pundit going to throw the jazz into that conversation? I think it probably depends on their taste in basketball, probably depends on their appetite for the way the jazz play and what they make of, of some of their potential limitations. But for me, they are right there with anybody. The Suns are having their moment, I would think, right now 
where the Jazz, like you said, had it in in February when they were blitzing opponents mm -hmm. and, and doing it in in a wild variety. The Suns having their moment right now. Are they serious contenders when it comes to the end of this year and in the postseason? I'm kind of in the process of talking myself into the Suns, and you know this is an interesting an interesting idea and an interesting time, whether you're the jazz or the Suns. you know, when you do have this moment, when you do have, you know, you're playing your best basketball, you're peaking or, you know, coming close to peaking at any point in the season, you get vetted a little bit and people start to take you a little more seriously. They start to really poke and prod your roster and even the limitations of your star players and say, you know, what, if we really wanted to game plan for seven games against Chris Paul, what would we do? What would that look like? How, how could we put some, some clamps on him, some restrictions on him if we're a really top level defense? And we've had those conversations over and over with the jazz in particular about what they can and can't do. And, you know, th that's, that's all kind of been litigated and had, and really the only answers we're going to get are in the playoffs, but for the Suns, that's a really deep team. And a team that's that's very smart at the top in terms of CP and the way he runs it, very potentially explosive with Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton having, you know, a, a wide variance in performances from night to night, but can give you exactly what you need against the right kind of opponent. So, again, I'm kind of figuring them out still, even at this stage in the season. I have a lot of faith in their defense, a lot of faith in their depth. The question is, are they going to be vulnerable in that like four to six range more so than some other teams? They seem like a really interesting matchup for the Jazz in that they have that antidote uh, to a Rudy Gobert with CP being so smart. You saw it in the game that they had a couple weeks ago where CP dialed up that mid-range jumper, and he's, he's a Hall of Famer built upon that. And yeah. if he can do that in the playoffs to a team, mid-range you to death, that's not a bad shot at all. That is exactly what he wants, and, and they could make some noise when it comes to the postseason. I think they're in a sweet spot with Chris Paul where, I mean, un just an unbelievable player overall and exactly the kind of person you don't want to see in an extended series where he can start to dissect you a little bit. But they have a, a nice setup where he can do a lot of the organization, where he can do a lot of the orchestration of their offense, but he doesn't have to pound the ball every time. You know, they run a lot of good off-ball stuff. Monty Williams, I think, has done a really great job. Uh, you know, a candidate for coach of the year, by all means, has done such a nice job of setting up guys to move off-ball. Guys like Mikhail Bridges are such intuitive cutters who know how to position themselves, know how to find creases, where Chris Paul can be a part of that, can help guys get to their spots, can, you know, do plenty of pointing and gesturing on the floor, as you would expect him to do, but doesn't have to have the wear and tear on his body if we're talking about a team that needs to go two and three and four series if they want to get to the place they ultimately want to get to. I love the CP things, the pointing, oh, yeah. the barking, the the head nods, the <laughs> little subtle things that he does. Those those are always fun to watch, especially on a national broadcast when they have more camera angles than when you're watching on League Pass. A lot of fun to watch the CP things. We mentioned a little bit just that Jazz antidote. How much of a concern do you think that vulnerability they had it a couple weeks ago with washington that loss where russ also did the same thing that cp did i think if you're playing against russ and he beats you that way you'll live with that is that vulnerability something that can come out in the playoffs i think it definitely is and it's, it's exactly as you mentioned you know on balance over the course of the season you're going to live with a lot of those shots against random teams you're not going to live with those shots against chris paul he can bury you for games if you let him and I think the concern, if I were the Jazz, looking at the Suns as a potential matchup, 
if you're looking across the aisle, I'm wondering, is that team just more adaptive than I am? I think Utah is, is so strong in its system, so strong in the way it wants to play, but especially defensively, you know, Rudy Gobert, I think it will probably be the defensive player of the year, but he does work best in certain styles, work best in certain types of coverage. Are we able to move the pieces around the chessboard, so to speak, as we would need to over the course of a long series, if Phoenix is going to keep trying different stuff? Like to me, the Suns are just a team that has a lot of wiggle room in, in the way that they want to play. The Jazz, I think, have that on some nights, but it's it's a little less consistent for me. What have you seen from the team from the national view on the Utah Jazz? I see a team that really tests your focus on a on a possession to possession basis. You know, if you're a guy off the ball who's used to kind of zoning out for a couple seconds and catching your breath, they will find you. They will they will put you in action and they will iterate and iterate and iterate until they break you down. And like that's an exhausting thing to have to cover uh, for one game, much less for potentially you know six or seven games in a series. So on a on a team level, I love that about them. I love watching them guard. I love watching them guard the three point line in particular, and the way they've kind of made that a battleground, especially for a team that takes so many threes themselves to weaponize that differential. Such a huge part of the modern game. And on an individual basis, there's just so many players to enjoy. I mean, Joe Joe Ingles having. I mean, an, an unbelievable season in terms of just his willingness to shoot all of a sudden, you know, being a different kind of player. Um, I'm here for the Jordan Clarkson renaissance, all the ups and downs of it. I've always been a huge Mike Conley booster. And then, of course, I mean, the, the two guys at the center of that in terms of Mitchell, who, you know, hopefully we'll get a chance to get him back and healthy as we go into the playoffs. Certainly on a national level, we just we don't want any more injuries changing this playoff picture. I want to see as many of these teams at full strength as possible, but he's been so amazing. And I think so increasingly sophisticated at the way he's reading the game and processing the game. I want to see what that looks like in the playoffs. I want to see Donovan Mitchell with another crack at really high level teams with a, a fully healthy and fully functional body. How have you seen him grow as he's in year four of doing this where he comes on a scene and the only thing that he knows is winning. It seems like always going to the playoffs. What have you seen with him this year that has advanced him a little bit down the road? Some of it is the layered stuff in terms of his reads, you know, looking for that third rotation, looking for the extra defender and where they're coming from. That's all kind of understandable stuff that guards will pick up over time. For him, it's even some of the one-on-one -on -one action where he was already so explosive and so dangerous off the dribble, but just the little ways that he sets up his man, the little ways he, he positions them to run directly into the screen. There's so many kind of micro fundamental things that I think he's picking up and, and refining over time that just make him so dangerous. You know, he, he's a guy who, you know, certainly on the nights where he's just scorching from three or from the perimeter, there's just not a lot to be done with him. I think what he's improving is on the nights where he isn't shooting so well, how can I manufacture offense even more effectively against all kinds of defenders, switching bigs, guards my size, wings that in previous seasons might have given me some problems with their length. He's just becoming an increasingly impossible problem to solve. Those reads have been so important to him, and it's something that like Quinn will bring up every single time that he has a post game of him advancing as a playmaker. We've had this discussion in jazz Twitter, whatever that is, about how much of hero ball is he going to engage with? Yeah. Uh, being on top of the ball, having his usage rate go higher and higher. Have you seen him advance as a playmaker? Because he's not 
Luca, obviously Luca has has more uh, time being a professional for a longer period of, in his life, but it's not like he's chop liver either. Where, where is he on that playmaking scale for you? Yeah, I mean, in the regular season, I think we can make certain assessments about that, but the real meat of it and the real kind of diagnostic is the playoffs. As, we, as we've seen with him in particular and some of the challenges that he's had to face in breaking down really high-level defenses. So I think he's, he's doing pretty well. The question with him and with the Jazz more broadly is, can they get into the diversification of their offense enough where that usage rate doesn't have to skyrocket? Like, can we get the stuff that goes through or to Boyan Bogdanovich enough to make him more of a consistent weapon versus he goes a whole quarter without taking a shot? You know, like, how do we tap into all of these different avenues for our offense to you know, to release some of the pressure that's on Mitchell in that way? You know, you want him to be as great a playmaker as he can be to make the most advanced reads that he can the reality is that the best defensive teams are going to throw all kinds of stuff at him and he's going to have to constantly change his approach and tweak and evolve from the first quarter of game one to the the third quarter of game one you know it, it moves that quickly so I think he's up for those challenges but you just have to give him as much help as you can that's what the best teams do even when we're talking about the ones built around Luca or the ones built around LeBron James or the ones built around James Harden, you know, these, some of the best, you know, read and react playmakers we have, they all have that kind of structure around them. I think the jazz have some of some of the pillars of that, but as we've seen in some of their past playoff runs, there, there are some questions as to whether they hold up to that kind of scrutiny. He's definitely not the Zach Lowe apex predator uh, right <laughs> sure. now, but the way that I think that the Jazz are identifying and seeing this problem is that they're getting the Mike Conley that they thought they were going to get last season. He's gotten more comfortable in the offense. He's adapted to what they've changed on the fly, which is shoot more threes, 25% year-over-year increase in the attempts that they're going to do. What have you seen from their offense retooling towards this style of play that potentially do something for them when it comes to those bigger games in the playoffs? Well, the Conley part of that is huge, especially in what I was just talking about in terms of making sure that all of these other support systems are clicking the way they should. Mike Conley is the engine of a lot of that stuff. And, you know, right now when Mitchell is out, obviously can run a team by himself. He's an amazing point guard. But I think in terms of their, their kind of perimeter attack more generally and the, the democracy of their offense, a lot of that are, those are just like player development success stories. Like George Niang is a player development success story, right? That is a guy who just sprouted up in this system, who gives them exactly what they need. And I think is one of the reasons why this team is, you know, eight or nine deep with really solid, reliable players. And it's guys who came in with certain reputations, came in with certain, you know, faults in their games or things they just wouldn't do for other teams. And now they do them. You know, Mike Conley is a guy who had to be coaxed to shoot threes a certain way. That was a multi-year battle in Memphis was convincing him. We need you to shoot. We need you to shoot threes and we need you to shoot a lot of them. And he was kind of starting to inch that way, but has really found himself playing this style. And, and you know, is a player who, because he's so adaptable off the dribble, because he can go so many different directions and he's so shifty, he's a shoe in for the modern game with all the space it provides. And the fact that you can get bigs going downhill guarding Mike Conley and trying to keep up with his floater, but also the fact that he, he and you know, Rudy Gobert now have this wonderful chemistry together and have really found that over time. There's so many things you have to keep under wraps when you're guarding the Jazz. And, I mean, obviously that's a, a testament to their continuity, but I think, again, on an individual level, 
It's just getting each of these guys into exactly the kind of cog that they need to be for the Jazz to be successful. How difficult is it to coax a player into shooting threes like Mike or even Joe Ingles, who sure. at times needs to be told, shoot the ball, shoot the ball. They do that with Boyan now. Boyan's now the guy that they start saying, shoot the ball, shoot the ball. How difficult is it to coax somebody into that? I mean, it can be surprisingly hard. And especially, you know, those are, you know, Ingles and, and Conley are two guys who are just kind of my taste of player. When I'm watching, those are guys I love to watch and have been for years but are also players who are a little bit different in concept than in reality. Because in concept, you look at, this guy's an amazing three-point shooter. But the reality is, what is his usage cap that's really self-imposed? At what point is he just going to cut himself off because he feels a compulsive need to make what he's been trained is, is the right play, to make the extra pass, to not take shots early in the shot clock, to not take the pull-up jumper in the pick and roll. Those are habits that these guys, especially for veterans like Conley and Ingles, I mean, those are 20-year habits. Those are 15-year habits. The idea that they're going to change with what's basically a three- or four-year arc in the NBA in terms of when three-point attempts have really exploded. You know, they've been scaling up gradually for a long time, but it's just the Wild West right now in terms of what teams are willing to allow and what coaches want you to do. It's a bigger ask than you might think. And it's something to keep in mind whenever we're talking about any of these, you know, formerly proficient mid-range players who are now stepping back and taking threes, whether it's bigs who are taking threes for the first time in their, in their career, really, or being trusted to do that. There's a mental hurdle that goes into training yourself to actually take those shots. It's, it's far more complicated than just, oh, my God, don't you want to take more shots and get more points? Everyone should want to do that. Everybody, make, make sure it's Joe Ingles' time or, or that famous tweet, Jordan Clarkson time. That's when I start thinking about like that Steve Kerr concept flow and, and making sure everybody's getting those touches. That's what they've learned their entire life going along with what you've said. It may not be something that is as obvious to somebody watching on the couch as it is to them actually being in the arena and trying to get somebody a touch who needs to get into the flow of the game or needs to start feeling, how's this game going? I'm going to get them the ball and then they figure it out. That that has been something that just in my short basketball viewing life, I'm starting to learn. That's always something I'm thinking about with Donovan Mitchell too, who in the regular season, I think it's very much a flow player. He, he wants to get everybody involved. He's trying to cater to so many constituencies at once. In the playoffs, I mean, he's just such a killer. And, and in a lot of times, rightly so, you know, they are working a mismatch game. Other teams are switching and he has to go, especially later in the clock. But there's an interesting relationship between that, between what Mitchell can get you, putting up 40 points at a time in a crucial playoff game, and the fact that, you know, in previous postseasons, certain jazz shooters have gone cold at the wrong time. Maybe they aren't activated in quite the right way. Maybe that rhythm and flow isn't quite there. And so how you balance those things, if you're a guy like Donovan, I mean, that's, that's the game. That is the, the game that changes you from all-star to superstars. Can you, can you be a killer and can you get your team in the flow at the same time? League-wide, one of the biggest killers over the last week, Steph Curry. Goodness, yeah. that guy, he might be in contention as a team that the Jazz might see in the first round. What can that team do in a play-in scenario, in a playoff scenario? What's their ceiling with Steph Curry playing at this outrageous level? I mean, how crazy is that, by the way? That if you're a one or two seed in the West, you might see Golden State or Dallas. I mean, 
every you know every year we talk about this how great and stacked the west is but it's at this point when we're kind of gearing up for the postseason and you start to take the standings and the matchups a little more seriously that it really settles in that to make it to the finals you're gonna have to just beat some unbelievable teams stacked on top of each other golden state i think you know they are certainly dangerous as hell right now with steph playing the way he is but we're already starting to see some of the limitations of that of that some of the ways that over time, I think he's going to wear down playing that style. But you, you don't want that match. You know, if you can avoid playing Steph Curry in a playoff series, you're going to do everything you can to do that. That's not a matchup that's pleasant for anybody. For them, it's just a matter of, you know, if you can successfully keep him under wraps, a lot of their secondary playmaking falls apart. Draymond Green is brilliant in that capacity. But right now, most of the teams that, play, that the Warriors play against you know, they can make Andrew Wiggins and Kelly Oubre into ball handlers, into guys who have to attack off the dribble and make quick decisions. And they're just not suited for that. You know, these are players who have been on a lot of different, been on other teams and you know, attempted that role before and it hasn't really worked out for them. And in Golden State, there's been such a spotlight on them to do that exact kind of thing. And especially now that they're, you know, they're down James Wiseman, they're playing with the rotations that, you know, how do we get Jordan Poole in here more for some offense? It's a good team and it's a professional team on defense, especially offense is just they're constantly searching for who they are and who they can be because they're torn between the way their roster is built which is to kind of play more of a traditional drive and kick style and the way that their roster is coached and conceived which is they really want to play more of a flow more of a movement offense that it doesn't always work with that group of players so I think they're they're dangerous with Steph but obviously given where they are in the standings pretty beatable it seems the way I've I've phrased it is it seems like that Ben Affleck meme where he's carrying all the Dunkin' Donuts. That's Steph trying <laughs> trying to carry the Warriors offense uh, in and of himself into the, the room. Are you a fan of the plan? I am. Honestly, like I get why some of the players who are in that range and the coaches and, and the owners in Mark Cuban's case are grousing about it a little bit. That's kind of what it's designed to do is light a fire under those teams. So I, I want to see them play for their lives. I want to see some desperation from those teams to even get into the playoffs. I think it's not only going to make for good television and put more teams in the mix, but we're seeing some of the payoff in even going back to the trade deadline teams that might in previous seasons have blown up their rosters, chose not to chose to stick around and see what could happen. I like that we have that going for the league in terms of what the long-term implications of it would be. I don't know. We'll have to see kind of year over year, what it does to this, you know, the, the broader scope of the NBA, but I mean, I, it's appointment viewing as far as I'm concerned, but I'm also kind of a shoe in for, you know, watching basketball between some middling teams with a lot on the line. Yeah, I bet as a national NBA voice, I'm sure you've seen your share of, of good and bad basketball. Oh. Is there a team in that playing zone that you think is the most dangerous non Steph division? Cause we already addressed the warriors. Sure. I mean, I think it's, I think it has to be Dallas. Um, and, you know, again, some of this stuff will change from day to day and we'll, we'll see whether Dallas can kind of separate themselves in that group if they can get some ground on Portland. But Luca is kind of in a similar category to Steph and the Mavs are a team that are not playing super well right now, but have had some really good defensive stretches have obviously have a lot of offensive potential. I've shown they can go toe to toe with a team like the Clippers last season when they were healthy. The makeup of their team has changed a little bit. But again, that's not a group that I would want. Uh, trying to target me and trying to, you know, especially if I'm an upper seeded team, who's hoping to kind of take it easy a little bit in the first round, hoping to like flex my talent. I don't, you know, if we look at kind of like who has the best player in this series corollary, 
I don't know that I want to match up my best player against Luka Doncic. I, I just don't think that's something I'm interested in. Why haven't they taken a bigger step up the standings over the last couple of weeks in taking advantage of what Portland has had with Dame out? That's the big question. I mean, the earlier season struggles, to me, were pretty explicable. They, they were a team that was hit super hard by COVID earlier in the season, just was not very well organized because they were constantly getting guys back at different times, staggered. It just wasn't working until they had t- a chance to – Uh, Oddly enough, because of the intense weather situation in the Dallas area, hunker down and almost have a training camp in February and really get their defense right. Then they went on a great run, and now they are just kind of falling apart for reasons that I I can't quite get my arms around. And there's some stuff there that's been burbling all season, whether it's, you know, the uh, certain lineup compositions, whether it's Chris Dapps Porzingis' role in the offense and how pleased he is with it on a kind of a minute to minute, game to game basis. Um, whether you know they have enough supplementary shooting and creation on the floor at certain times. There's a lot of kind of constant variables and conversations around that team. And right now it's like all those coins are flipping and everyone is coming up tails and everything, all systems are failing at once for reasons I, I don't quite understand. It'll be interesting to see if they're in that playing scenario, how are they going to take those games? Because they, yep. they have been the public team that's been griping on it. Your latest is on the Bucks. Give a little Cliff Notes version of your thoughts on the Eastern Conference team and how they stack up in that race. I mean, I think it's probably something Jazz fans can identify with, which is, you know, you have some shinier teams in your conference that get a lot of attention for, for understandable reasons. Everyone wants to see what's going on with the Nets and if their stars can play together. And right now, who's healthy on a night-to-night basis? Joel Embiid might be the MVP this year. Uh, the Sixers, you know, an unbelievable team, incredible defense and just watching him kind of stampede through teams is always a good time. And so the Bucks, who in previous seasons have just been the, the class of the league, are kind of off to the side, working in the background, trying to figure themselves out. And I think there's a tendency with teams who are in that spot to assume that they're the same team they've always been. You know, the same team we saw in last year's playoffs who kind of ran into a wall in the second round, the same team that felt solvable that felt like a you know oh they're a good regular season story but when they really get into the playoffs we can we can we know what they do and we can kind of stop it i i don't think that's necessarily the case anymore and a lot of that is the fact that they replaced eric bledsoe with drew holiday and the way that holiday and Giannis and chris middleton have all kind of coalesced i mean that's they work about as well as any three stars could in terms of fit in terms of game in terms of you know, not having an overabundance of talent like you might find in Brooklyn, but a, a, just such a healthy give and take to the way they operate that I think that's a really dangerous team and, and one that is really contending at a high level, probably higher than a lot of the national discourse would lead you to believe. Sounds very familiar to the Jazz. I get you out on this. Twitter, Abby, what's the bird? So when I started my Twitter circa 2008, maybe i'm trying to remember Ooh, early adopter <laughs> different times you remember when it was fun <laughs> god rem- remember those days now yeah we, we don't we don't have to get into that uh slow spiral towards whatever we have now but long story short it's a character from Star Fox, the video game Star Fox, where these your teammates would pop in with their little avatars and gripe at you for not helping them out this guy falco was one of those avatars so i was like you know, i don't really feel like putting my actual picture on there i'm gonna let falco speak for me and blab at people Another anonymous Twitter account, Rob Mahoney. <laughs> Just another one. Round ball roundup on utahjazz.com. Rob, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me.